The following story has been brought to you by StoriesToInspire.org. When I was growing up in Avenue L, where my parents lived and continue to live at Meavesrim, not not on Avenue L, but they should live till Meavesrim. What today is called Glotmart, then, some good 20-some-odd years ago, was key food. And the back lot, which today you see a bunch of orange vans parked, happened to have been a big, empty lot. It was a lot that we used to go, a bunch of yeshiva guys, 10, 11, 12 years old, every day after yeshiva. And we used to come to the lot, we used to play baseball every day. One day, while we're playing baseball in the lot, a bunch of goyim from the apartment building across the street comes walking out of the building, dressed up in their little league outfits. Now, as a little boy growing up in America with a passion for the New York Yankees, to see these guys walk into that lot wearing their little league baseball uniforms, I was like, wow, wow, they have uniforms. I mean, Yeshiva, we barely have gloves. They have uniforms. Wow. They came into the lot. They said, hey, you guys, you want to play? We'll, we'll, we'll take you on. We'll play against you. I said, sure, absolutely. A challenge. And we played in baseball. And from that day on, they used to come out every single day. And we used to play with these goyim baseball every day in the lot, in the back of Kifut. Every day. Matter of fact, one of my friends, a yeshiva boy who lived on my block, Akiva, he became very close friends with one of these boys. Turns out, because he became close with him, he found out that this boy, he's not a goy. He's a Jewish boy. Not religious. Knows nothing about Judaism other than chicken soup, but, but he's a Jewish boy. In a baseball outfit. In a little league outfit. And these two guys, Akiva, and this non-religious Jewish boy, his name was Lance, they both got very close. They got, they got to be good friends. Well, to my luck... One day I was out in the lot playing baseball, and of course it was my turn to bat, and I had my feet dug in well to the ground, ready to hit that ball as hard as I could. And sure enough, my father came home from work early that day. Lo and behold, although he never walks down that block, Boreolam sent him down that block. And he looks into the lot, and he sees me standing there with the bat, playing with a bunch of goyim and a few yeshiva boys. I got to introduce you to my father. This is one finger on my father's right hand. He has another four like this. And when he was younger, they were bigger. And all I heard was the voice. And it couldn't have been my father, I said to myself. But that voice was so intimidating, I looked up to Shamayim like it's like that. I'm too young. And then I turned around. I saw my father was standing by the gate. And he said, get out here right now. I said, oh boy. I came out the side of that lot and I whispered to my father, please, Abba, not in front of everybody. Don't give me the right hook. Not in front of everybody. He said, come home with me. We went home. We sat down together. And he said to me, my son is a yeshiva boy. He's a ben Torah. He does not play with Goyim. If I ever catch you in that lot again playing with Goyim, I don't care what anybody else's parents say. 
My son is not playing with goyim. All you need is a little bit of the influence rubbing off. Shema Yisrael, what can happen to you? Hard enough to find good friends today. You're playing with goyim? If I ever catch you in that lot again. I said, Abba, don't, don't even say it. I, I got it. Okay. And from that day on, I never went back to the lot. Now my other friends, the other yeshiva boys, their parents really didn't care much. And therefore, they continued to play in the lot every day. And Akiva and the rest of the guys, they played with these guys, the goyim and this non-religious Jewish boy. And this went on for years. Well, let's fast forward the story 20 years. I said 20, yes. 20 years. 20 years I'm in Israel learning in yeshiva. And one night, now Shamayim, I tell you the truth. I had this something inside of me that said to me, I'm just in the mood of going out to the Kotel. Now I was drunk on the Kotel. It was the type of place that, by me, there was never such a thing that I went too many times. I just loved it every time. I mean, you walk there, the air is tangible. The Kiddushah is overwhelming. The personalities there are hilarious. I mean, it's, it's the place. It's the place. I loved it. So I came to the hotel that night to pray our beat. And I woke up to the wall. I begin to pray. And I feel a hand on my shoulder. I turn around. I see a guy standing there. He was wearing a little bit of a funny bal tshuva type of a kippah. But he had peyot behind his ears. A little bit of those wannabe beards. The hair and hair. And one more hair. Nice try. And he was wearing the outdoor tzitzit. He looked like a yeshiva boy with a little bit of a tinge, a little bit of a twist, which are always the personalities that I got along with. And I said, uh, hi, can I help you? He says to me, Dovi, you don't remember me? I look at him once, I look at him twice. I don't know. Sorry, I I'm supposed to be good with faces. Lousy with names, but good with faces. I don't know who you are. He says, come on, really, look good at me. I'm looking and I'm looking. Till finally he tells me, don't you remember me? I'm Lance. I'm the kid, the non-religious kid, that used to play with you guys baseball 20 years ago in that lot in the back of Key Food. Remember I was really good friends with Akiva, that other yeshiva boy that used to play with us, till your father kicked you out of the game? I said, don't remind me. I remember. He says, well, look at me. And he says, I have to thank you. Because the day I started playing baseball with you guys, I watched you. And I was so impressed about the yeshiva boys. I was so impressed the way they spoke. The way they treated each other. The way they were so honest in the game. I was just taken. And I said to myself, what am I depriving myself of? I'm also Jewish. I want to be like them. Little did we know. We were playing baseball. Did we have an idea that some kid was watching us to the extent that he may end up making life decisions? Never. But he said to himself, it stuck, stuck, stuck in his mind and it burned in his heart. I get poetic when I get tripped up. And he got on that first flight in high school and he flew out to Israel. And he came to Esha Torah. And he became a Baal Teshuvah. And he tells me, I'm here in Israel now for two and a half years. And I don't plan to go back. I love it here. I'm living a regular yeshiva guy life. I'm learning day and night. I couldn't believe my eyes. This was Lance. 
You had to see Lance when he was a little kid in that little league outfit with the step haircut. I mean, never to imagine that he was watching us, that he was actually impressed with the yeshiva boys he was playing with. And now he became religious. But it's then that he hit me with the news. It was then that he turned to me and he said to me, do me a favor. Are you going back to America soon? I said, yes, yeah, soon. He says, well, when you go back, help me. I spent the last three weeks on the phone every night talking to Akiva. You remember Akiva, the other yeshiva boy? We stayed friends all these years. I continued and continued to talk to Akiva. And I'm begging him. Akiva went off the derech. I'm pleading with him for three weeks not to marry the Italian girl he's going out with. I said, what? Wait, 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 let me get this here. Let me get this. Akiva was a yeshiva boy and he was your friend. You were non-religious, you were his friend. And somehow or other, Ephraim and Menashe? Somehow or other you guys switched places? How'd that happen? You're non-religious, you were watching him, so you became religious. And the religious boy, the yeshiva boy, who hung out with the goyim became unreligious. And now you're the one who's trying to pull him away? To bring him back to the fold of Judaism? To save him, Hashalom, from marrying a goya? Wow. The power of influence. Wow. The toll of what our surroundings take on us. Wow. How much of a toll it takes on a person. The friends. The people that they associate with. At times all it takes is one friend that could either make or break a person. And we spent together, me and Lance, who then was already named Shimon, me and Shimon, we spent the next good few nights together on the phone to America, pleading with Akiva to come back. Look at the power of influence of our surroundings and of our friends. And how we're influencing people and we didn't even have a clue. We didn't even know they were looking at us. Let alone did we know that we were influencing their lives in a drastic way. Can I up the ante? Do you mind? I'd like to tell you this. Do you know how many times you influence people that... Not just the friends, the family, the cousins, brothers and sisters. But you know how many people you influence that you don't even know? You don't even know them. Matter of fact, you never even met them. But you are influencing them. Their life, their future in a tremendous way. Dallas, Texas. I would say 15 years ago. There was no religious shul in Dallas, Texas 15 years ago. None. And there, the rabbi, he simply ran the services, Shachrit, Minchan Arbit, out of his living room as a makeshift place because there was no shul, there was no building. One day, in the middle of Shachrit, the living room of the rabbi's house, Dallas, Texas, a man who no one ever saw before, he comes walking into the living room and he says, are you the rabbi? The rabbi says, yes, I am. He says, well, rabbi, I think it's time that we build a religious synagogue here in Dallas, Texas. I'm willing to give you the money to buy the building. When a rabbi hears that, 
They don't say Anya that day. There's no Tahanun. We say Yishem. I mean, you want to give me the building? You want to pay for the building? Well, he says, actually, I was looking at a building. Real estate then was very down, downtrodden in Texas. $50,000. The guy says, $50,000? He pulls out a check and he writes out $50,000. Hands it to the rabbi. Go buy the building. It's time that Dallas, Texas gets a synagogue, a religious synagogue for the people to use. The rabbi was ecstatic. Never met the guy before in his life. Walks in out of nowhere. Hands him a trek for $50,000. He's going out to buy the building. Well, the building he did buy. The shul, he did build. The shul flourished. Today, it's still kayam. It's still existing. The very first religious synagogue in Dallas, Texas. However, the donor... This man, the one who paid the $50,000, tragically, two years later, suddenly passed away with a mahala, with a sickness. And by the funeral, the mother of this guy, the mother got up and said, I want people to hear something about my son. And she said the following. She said, my son was a successful young professor in the college here in Dallas, Texas. And one day, because he was a travel buff, he loved to travel, he traveled basically the world. He went everywhere already, from Paris to Vienna. He went everywhere. And he said to himself, you know what? I'm going to go to Israel. Just to travel. So he signed up with one of those non-religious tours. You know the tours that for 14 days, they show you every flower that's in the Golan, every rock that's in the Hermon, they'll teach you and show you everything but what Israel really is. God forbid to show you anything religious-oriented. Till the last day. The last day they felt, I mean, they had people already, 14 days, all over Israel, in every back street, in every Arab shuk, in every banyas, in every tubing, in every kayaking. Let them at least see a little of what Israel really is. So the last day, they took them to the Kotel. She says, my son told me that when he went to the Western Wall, he walked up to the wall and he could not imagine leaving. There was a feeling there. There was electricity there. That for him was overwhelming. It was as if, as if his nishama was activated. As if he was floating he said he could not get enough of it. He was loving it. Why didn't we come here earlier? He said to the tour guide. And there he touched the wall. And it touched him. And there he was flourishing for the first time a taste of what a Jew really is. And he felt Kiddushah. And then he turned to his right. And there was a Yerushalmi man. Hasidi. With beautiful long peot. With the long black coat traditional, and a long white beard and a hat. And this Yerushalmi man, standing over at Tehillim, was praying, but with such emotion, with tears. He was pleading before Borei Olam. And this guy was watching. And he said to himself, I've never seen somebody pray like that before in my entire life. Wow, what a moving emotional experience. If he's praying that way, there has to be something real that he's praying to. Nobody prays that way to something that doesn't exist. I want to pray like this guy. So he started asking the tour guide, tell me, what type of Jew is this guy? I want to be like him. 
the tour guy said, oh, that guy, that's, uh, you know, ultra-Orthodox religious Jew. The guy says, ah, wonderful. I want to be an ultra-Orthodox religious Jew. When I go back to Dallas, Texas, I'm going to look up the first, if there's any, ultra-religious Orthodox synagogues. I want to be like this guy. I want to be like the praying that this guy, I want to pray like him. Gets back on the plane. 14 days of touring is over. Comes back to Dallas, Texas. Only to find out. As the mother explained, there was no religious Jewish synagogues. But he heard that there's a religious rabbi. And the rabbi conducts services in his living room. So immediately he went to the rabbi's house, she said. And it was then that he walked into the rabbi's living room. Now we're getting the rest of the story. He walked into the rabbi's living room. And he said, Rabbi... It's time for Dallas, Texas, to have a religious Orthodox synagogue. I'm going to give you the money. I want there to be a place that I can come to, that I can pray, and that maybe, just maybe, one day, I can be like that guy that I saw in Israel. The way he prayed is the way I want to pray. With the same feeling and emotion. He looked alive. I want to pray like that. And sure enough, the rabbi went and built that synagogue, as we said. And only a few years later, this man passed away. Now I ask you, this Yerushalmi Jew in Israel, who was standing by the Kotel that night, does he have any idea that this guy was watching him praying? No. Does this Yerushalmi Jew, let alone that he didn't know someone was watching him pray, does he have any idea that this person who was watching him pray picks himself up, gets on a plane, flies back to America, goes to Dallas, Texas, and opens up a synagogue because of what he saw, the prayer of this guy? Does this Yushalmi Jew know that someone was watching him, that that someone went to the other side of the world and built a shul in his honor? He has no clue. But look at the influence. Look what he brought out of another Jew. Look what he did. Do you have to be a leader to do that? Do you have to have the outgoing personality, the devonier smile, the manicured nails, to be able to move people? No! You know what you have to do? You have to make yourself a Kiddush Hashem. I'm not talking about going out to others. Go out right here to home. To start with ourselves first. To make ourselves something that will be a machine for influence. That when people will see us, when another Jew sees us, they'll look at us and they'll say, Yeah, that girl, that guy, great person. Wonderful. The midot they have is unbelievable. The hesed they do is incredible. I want to be like them. What family does she come from? What family does she come from? Who's her father? Who's his mother? What yeshiva did this guy go to? I want to send my kids there. That's the true power of influence. It happens at times with people that you don't even know they're looking at you. You don't even have a clue that they're actually watching you. But yet, the influence you have on a fellow Jew is one of such an extent that one day you'll be surprised. When we come up to Shamaim and they show us the videotape of how many people were really watching you and you had no clue. And they were so taken by you. 
And it was saying to themselves, I want to be like you. Look at you. You're going to seminary. I wish I could go to seminary. I wish I could continue to grow. Take a look at you. You're doing tzedakah. You're in an organization. You're doing chesed. I wish I could be like you. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.